This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of The Crown Cast, and this time we have football to talk about. And because we have football to talk about, we're going to ignore it entirely. Uh, yeah, The Crown Cast, we now have uh, news for transfers. You might be thinking that's a good thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. We have football matches to talk about. You might be thinking those are particularly good things, and one of them kind of is. Uh, so here to just sort of make sense of this mess, this jumble that we would call preseason is Ewan. Hello, Ewan. Hello. And Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Guys, preseason is upon us. We're in the thick of it. We have we have seen the transfer window, obviously for the MLS, not completely shut out, but the primary transfer window across the world come and go. Uh, the news has been somewhat absent. If we had recorded last week's podcast on Wednesday when we had Matt Swift come onto our show, we would have talked about the fact that Carol and Kamil are now gone. Carol Swiderski, Kamil Yuzviak, two Polish pillars. Uh, Carol is out officially on loan, and I believe uh, you and you might correct me here, Kamil is gone gone, correct? Yeah, I think that's spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Permanent transfer for Camille, and like you say, yeah, loan for Svidevsky. And I believe he went to, like, Granada or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's gone to Granada and uh, Svidevsky gone to Hellas Verona. So, uh, yeah, yep. yeah, two um, new homes. So he's off, off to his new home, and Carol is off on a loan with an option to buy, which uh, Josh has lovingly described as the Serie A special. And uh, I am stealing that from him because I thought it was brilliant. I mean, Guys, anyone who follows it will know. It's all too familiar. Ewan, you uh, have, have really picked up. You've carried the mantle of the Crowncast for a while now as, as the primary go-to co-host, which means you have to answer the big hard question. The big hard question is, Karol Schwederski comes into this team. He's the first DP. He's the poster boy, poster man. Poster boy sounds weird considering, but poster man for Charlotte FC, that sounds bad too. He is Charlotte FC. He's the king of Charlotte FC. And his throne is now abdicated. He wanted to leave the kingdom. He, he's, he looked across the land and said, this land isn't good enough for me. I want to be at Hellas Verona on loan. What sort of legacy does he leave here and... You know, as he goes, would you say this was a successful place for him? That we were better off for him being here? To take the uh, last bit there first, the idea of it being its success is hard to judge right now because it's a loan to buy and we don't really have a fee uh, in the ballpark of that. That will determine a lot of whether this whole thing was a was was a success. If we sell him for around the same fee that we bought him for. Some people will be happy. They'll think, oh, thanks for the memories for two years and we got exactly what we paid for. If it's a disappointing fee, people will be upset. And if it gets up into that kind of eight-digit range, which a lot of people were hoping for, then people are like, oh, yeah, brilliant. We got two years of a good footballer and we have a lot of money to uh, to, to play with uh, off the back of that success. Uh, whether it was a success off the pitch, on the pitch, sorry, and whether this you know kind of overall worked... <laughs> Um, I think you probably left, uh, unsurprisingly, with a bit of a what if. That being a what if from the perspective of 
you know, could we have gotten him in his favoured positions more often? Could we have, you know, surrounded him with a better team at times? And also a bit of what if in terms of when he was here for the two years, did we always have the right coach for him? Um, I think that'll probably be the legacy. I think what's going to happen in Italy is he's probably going to be semi-successful. I don't know if he'll stay at Verona because they have real relegation troubles, which throws the whole deal into a bit of a, a bit of uncertainty. But I do think he'll remain in the top five European leagues. He'll establish himself there and people will think, oh, it's a shame we couldn't have kept him here. I don't even remember seeing, you know, getting this guy to be as good here as consistently as he was. But the reality is, as with a lot of Charlotte FC players, people ask for consistency out of them. The question back is, how much consistency did we give them to be able to perform at that level in terms of moving positions, in terms of changes? So, yeah, I think his legacy will be one of a player who I think was obviously very good, someone who gave us a lot of moments outside of structure, but ultimately a what if in terms of if we'd have had better surroundings, if we'd have had a bit more stability, and if we'd have planned a little bit better, could we have gotten a little bit more out of him in big moments. I think that'll probably be the legacy. Yeah, I look back across Charlotte FC and the one that, the player that got away, I think, for me is Sergio Ruiz. Of all of the the guys that could have been better, could have been more here, that's the one that I look back and I go, man, I wish we had found a way to make this a stable place for Sergio Ruiz because I think he could have made our midfield better in the long run and in the short term. Obviously, that doesn't happen here. And I do wonder how I'm going to be feeling about Carol Schroederski going because most people will be able to tell you I was never a huge Carol Schroederski stan, right? I was the first one going, he takes too many touches in the box. I need him to get the shot away quicker. I don't want him to abdicate the shooting role just because he wants to go link up. You know, I need him to be still that forward line presence. I saw a lot of places in Carroll I thought he could go and be more. But when I look back at it, I saw all those places in Carroll because I thought he could go and be more, right? I thought he had the talent to not just be good. I thought he had the talent to be explosive. And I always wanted to see it, which looking back makes me say I was probably viewing him through a harsh lens, but a harsh lens of love, if you can call it that way. Uh, We'll see. Josh, I'm going to go over to you for the other Polish question, and that is Kamil Juszwiak. Obviously, we've already talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, how much stability did we give these guys? But I think most people would call this a failure of a DP signing. What went wrong? You know, I think I look at Kamil, and I think that he was a more risky signing than Karol Schwederski was simply because I think what we saw in Kamel was a young talent who kind of fizzled over in England and we thought maybe he could recapture some of it. Coupled with that is the fact that I I think Kamel is a bit of a confidence player and unfortunately when you go from uh, Mar to Christian Latanzio, and then you have some of the injuries that he he faced and switching him bes- between um, the different wings. I, I don't think that he ever felt settled in this team, and I think that there were periods of time when we saw the player 
that we wanted from Kamal, uh, Kamil, I'm sorry. Um, especially at the end of last season. I think the way he ended last season was really, really exciting. And I think that there's a lot to be said, especially at the end of that first season, that there was a little bit of bad luck for him. I think his numbers that first season could have been better if, you know, he hit, he doesn't hit the post a couple times, if, you know, someone gets on the end of a cross. At the end of the day, I just, I think, Kamil has a lot of talent, but I think he needs to be in a side where he knows week in and week out he is going to be playing in this position and he's going to be playing this way. And I don't think that we gave him that. I am of the personal opinion. I would not have minded if if usually I had stayed and worked under Dean Smith. Obviously, that did not happen. Um I, I'm of the personal opinion that this was a good move for both parties. I think this gives Kamil a fresh start. Um, he's still relatively young, so he still has plenty of ball left in those legs. Um, and you know what? I, I'll be honest. I'm a little surprised that we we don't know the exact fee, but I'm a little surprised that we got anything for him, to be completely honest, because, again, the numbers have not been great. So when you think about the fact that we did sell him to uh, Spanish side who have relegation issues themselves, but still, you know, a, a Spanish side, I think, I think it's good business all around. And, and I hope that we can reinvest that money well. And I hope that Camille can hit the ground running there and, and regain some of the form that he had a few years ago when he burst onto the scene. Yeah. I, I think you, you sum it up pretty well there. His time at Charlotte FC, <sighs> ups and downs i think the brightest moment i saw of him was when he was coming back from injury and he was on this really motivated streak where he was training with players that i would probably put as below his level and so he was just destroying players below his level and he brought that confidence into the upper tier for a little while and he just wiped the floor with people for like four games and then it it kind of fizzled out and that was maybe the brightest spark we saw of him ewan Really quick, I'm going to say, do you have any any thoughts on Kamil? And after that, one of the sort of noted things about Charlotte FC in its early days was that it had moments of feeling like a high school hallway in that there were kind of a bunch of little cliques, right? The jocks always hung out by the lockers and the cheerleaders always hung out by the gym. And uh, one of those cliques was the group of Polish players. Uh, a group of people who spoke the same language, who had similar cultures and traditions and and came over to the same place and were learning to adapt to the MLS and Charlotte together. Beyond just Kamil, what do you think about sort of the formation of these cliques in teams? Are they a good thing? Do they divide players? You know, what are, what are your thoughts? Just to take the uh, first bit there, just general thoughts on uh, on Kamil. He he is a style of winger, which when he maybe gets a little bit too high above what his level is, probably, it can be hard to get your arms around him because first and foremost, he's not a winger who's very good at beating his fullback. Immediately there, you're you're talking about a player who you're gonna struggle who's gonna struggle to be a fan's favourite. He's someone who's good at connecting the play with a good midfielder on the inside of him and a smart striker who can make good runs. He's great out of possession, he can give you a high floor there but that's not going to get anyone excited. Paired with that, the fact that you put a DP tag on him and you're thinking, oh, we've signed a DP winger, he's going to be this, he's going to be that. 
it, it was always from that kind of perspective, it was destined to be a little bit underwhelming, even though at times he had good spells and, and performed well. There was always going to be that little bit of underwhelming nature about him. And I think in two seasons of having him here, um, I, I think we've kind of figured him out <laughs> exactly who he is, even though he's so young. I would be surprised if he goes much higher above his level now. And obviously it was below the standard that we that we wanted. We've moved on and I share the thoughts of Josh that you know hopefully gets it together. In terms of the clicks, when you're putting this together in recruitment, it's almost a great idea on paper where you get a player like Svidersky. It's like, okay, we're bringing him as the headline talent. Let's surround him with people who you know are going to make him feel at home, make him you know make him feel happy. A, a few friends there, and and that's what we had with uh, with Kamil, obviously uh, Sobyszynski as well there, um, and uh, and and Pereba, who obviously was was I believe Polish and, and and part of the Crown Legacy, so maybe not as involved, but still you know under the Polish player involved in the setup. Um, great on paper, the idea of getting these people around him. Oh, they'll they'll you know they'll they'll make each other feel at home. You know, put, put away a bit of homesickness like that. The reality of it is that sometimes you get to the middle of the season, you get two bad results in a row and people are pointing fingers and then the cliques establish and team chemistry is out the window. <laughs> so yeah. it's hard to fight cliques generally, even if you take away nationality. Players are always going to find their friends within a team. They're always going to cobble together when times are tough. The thing that you counteract that with is strong leadership. You think about someone like Latanzio, who spent his career as a player developer, an assistant coach, someone deep within the analysis someone who hadn't been challenged with a real top, top leadership role before as a head coach. And now you counteract that with someone like Dean Smith, who has been a head coach for about 15 years now. And a lot of his specialities aren't, ex he, I don't want to take away from him tactically because uh, he does have a game model and everything like that and focuses on that a lot as every manager does. But a lot of his specialities in the man management, it's in getting a group together to pull in the, in the right direction. So if you had a manager like that with a bit of a squad that had maybe a clique here or there, Maybe it could have worked out. He would have got everyone to bundle together a little bit better. But I think when you pair that, the fact that we maybe had some cliques in the squad with a head coach who hadn't been in that leadership role before, you are opening the door to those issues. And I can't speak to the fact that there were issues or there weren't issues. I don't really know it that closely. But if there were, I suppose it wouldn't, it maybe wouldn't surprise you as much uh, as, as it would if there was a Dean Smith in charge. So yeah, hopefully not something that will come into uh, if it was the case that it did happen. Hopefully not something that will come up uh, against uh, this season. Yeah, I I saw a lot of talk in the back rooms about the Polish click, and some people really liked it. Some people thought, oh, it's a good place for these guys to get together and and learn how to be a part of Charlotte. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I kind of always ignored the thought, not because. It doesn't have any significant relevance. I think that this is one of those things that could come down to just who is a part of the group. And if that person is a good influence on the rest of the team, or if that person is a negative influence on the team, or if that person is, you know, particularly upset with where they are in the team right now. I think there are so many factors that go into this. And the biggest point of all this is the fact that they're kind of unavoidable. I would say anytime you get more than 15 people together in a room for a significant period of time, they're going to separate out a little bit, mostly because 15 people can't all talk and listen at once. It's, it's really hard to do. There's a reason podcasts don't have 15 presenters on, because really three or four is about the maximum that can get their say in and be heard and understood. It's going to happen. So... I kind of ignored it, but now that I look back and I see this, 
you know, Jan Sobaczynski goes. Now we see Kamil and Carol both going at the same time and in the way they are going. I do wonder how how strongly formed that was and what result it ultimately had on Charlotte FC. But the truth is, without being a part of that group, we will always be left to wonder. Uh, I am going to go over to Josh because whether uh, their exits are a good thing or a bad thing, they're gone or on loan. (laughs) So we now effectively have two DP slots that are opening up. Uh, Carol Walton originally reported, and I believe she is correct, that with the Carol loan, the way the deal is structured does mean that we will get a free DP slot. So with these new and unique opportunities, Josh, what sort of fantastic optimism do you have for us? Um, right now, I will be honest, I am not optimistic that we are signing anyone anytime soon. Um, normally, teams do fill these DP slots. I think it should be noted that there have been teams who don't. I, I believe a few years ago, like Colorado only had one designated player. You don't. As far as I know, again, MLS rules caveat of like you have to have a law degree to really understand them. Um, I don't believe there's any rule that says you have to fill it all. We should be trying to do that, obviously, because whether you like it or not, money usually equates to talent in the in the football world. What I am hope hoping happens with this is that we are going to fill these slots or a slot with a player who really complements the current DP we have in Enzo Capetti, as well as the younger players that we are trying to develop. The way I view this team is we have a very, this club seems to want to develop young players. We've gone really heavy in draft. Um, We've gone really heavy into the crown legacy. And we have been supplementing to some degree with veteran players. And then you have a few guys who are sort of in their prime. I would love to see DPs who are coming in who are going to complement, not compete with Enzo Capetti, who are not necessarily going to completely block the way of some of these really young and exciting players that we have. I personally am looking towards um, probably a wing option and then someone in the back line, preferably, honestly, a a center back, a left-sided center back for me. Those would be the two areas that I would really love to see us go and get a DP with. But honestly, regardless of what we do, I think there's an argument to be made that we could look for one in the midfield because it's an older midfield. We have options. I would just really like to see it aligned where it doesn't feel like we're we bought a striker, a DP with Carol, then we went and got Enzo. Let's not repeat that. Let's have a, a better plan with how to utilize these spots. Yeah, the DP for me has always been a position where I feel like you say you want one of your high-value players, but nowadays you there really isn't somebody you can stick out in the left-back slot and say, ah, just run hard and you'll be fine. You really have to be a top-end talent everywhere, or you will get shown out in professional leagues nowadays. That's just the way it is. I do tend to think there are places where more experienced uh really high-end talent can help a team shine through they tend to be for me center back whichever position in the midfield is solo so if you're running two double pivots in the uh, defensive side that number 10 position or if you're running two attacking eights 
that single pivot six uh, and wingers are the ones that for me, well, obviously I'm not talking about Enzo Capetti. The striker will always be the icon of the team, yada, yada, yada. But we have Enzo Capetti. Those are the ones, that spine of the team that has always felt like the place where you can go and say, here's the big guy, right? Here's the one who's going to calm everything down. When people are starting to to lose their positions, here's the guy who can make everything uh, calm again. Uh, the Ashley Westwood, right? If we had another mentally Ashley Westwood in that area, everything gets a lot calmer. The other mentality that you have or I have with it is you can go after that that DP winger and you can just say, the guy we're paying the most money may not be the most experienced. He may not be the most you know, a proven talent, but we know he's 24, 25. We know he's got seasons of showing he is going to score goals and we're going to put him out in the wing and he's going to absolutely roast everybody because he's the best player in the country. Those are the places I look at DPs and, and see them as where they normally get used and also where I would like to use them. Ewan, I'm going to let you jump in here really quick. Thoughts on DP signings and, and what you what you would see them used for? Yeah, I think you're right. You're looking at kind of premier positions uh, where you want to be using them. And generally, that's where you want to be allocating your resources um, in terms of yeah, heavy spending. And and from that perspective, I suppose Charlotte FC has been on the right track in terms of putting that money towards um, where goals are created, wide players and forwards. Um, I, I do wonder if the fact that it maybe hasn't worked out in their perspective and in, the, in the perspective of fans, if that if that brings them away from that potentially or if they're pretty they're pretty strict with their structure of that and that's where we'll see that those dp slots used going forward um i also think that you know you can have that structure in place you can have a way of wanting to do things but if the right player arrives and they're a center back or the right player arrives and even if they're maybe a goalkeeper you know, you, you've, you've got to bend a little bit off your principles if the right deal comes up. And I'm, I'm sure we're searching around a lot for that to potentially come up. Um, I do think this will probably be something which drags into the summer. Uh, we know the Petkovic thing, like you say, that, that we, we're not 100% sure how he'll be allocated. But I, I would be shocked if, if a DP signing is coming anytime soon. Uh, anytime soon. I think that's, uh, that's going to be for the summer. Yeah, I, I do think that is a, a later on down the road. Josh, I'm going to hit you with an interesting question that's not on the, the docket just because I want to. You know, you know how much I love uh, changing up on you. If you were to go out and I, and I was to tell you that for roughly the same money that we have talked about spending this summer, this summer, we've talked about spending in January, obviously mm-hmm. in the summer, as everyone knows, um, depending on where you are in the world, right? If I was to go and tell you that you could get a 28-year-old at one point in time, the highest rated winger in the world who went to the top leagues and couldn't quite make it, couldn't quite hack it, and has now sort of tailed off in his career, but we know scores goals, we know has pace, and his name was Nicola Pepe. <laughs> what would your reaction be? Um, my reaction would be no. <laughs> And that's not that's actually not because I'm down on on a player like Nicola Pepe. Nicola Pepe is a again, it, it talks about when, when you have a design for a team and a vision for a team. A player like Nicola, Nicola Pepe for me thrives in transition 
And everything that I've heard and I understand about Dean Smith is that, yes, obviously you're going to have transition in moments, but he wants to control a game. And so I think if that if that kind of opportunity arises with a player like a Nicola Pepe, I really hope that this club is smart enough to not get won over by the name and rather look at the player and really think, how again, how does this player fit with the players we already have? And what can we do with that? But yeah, Nicola Pepe, I hope, as with Camille, that he has a long, successful career. But I don't think it should be at Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> and that was genuinely just for fun. Uh, regular listeners obviously know that we have an Arsenal history, Josh and I. And uh, that was once a player who was rated amongst the best in the world. And just for his uh, transfer marked value is now roughly the same amount that we would have been looking at for Albert Grombeck. So I thought that was an interesting little pop-up there. Let's go ahead and move on. We've talked about, you know, what these vacancies mean, the players that are leaving. Obviously, we haven't talked much about people coming in because there's not really that much to talk about, although we will maybe say a little bit. Uh, first, I'm going to talk the 2-2 draw against LAFC. There's going to be media narrative around it because LAFC scores to draw it. You know, it's another blown lead by Charlotte FC. Media narratives are always going to be there. I, One of the things I love about this show and I love about talking to you guys and, and our listeners is I do tend to think that this is the group of people who not avoids media narratives, but looks at the data and looks at the stats and looks at how things run over an extended period of time. And probably is pretty good with my just saying, we played LAFC, we drew 2-2. I don't think it has any significant value as a discussion point really beyond that. Ewan, you want to tell me I'm wrong? Is there anything about this that you think deserves time or should I move ahead? No, I think you're right. Um, we've, we've obviously played three preseason friendlies now. Um, the first two, just kind of looking at the structure of it, result. And again, don't really care massively about the result of any preseason game. But the first two, based off the scheduling, really, you know, res the result can be whatever it is. We we don't get the video of these games. We don't get to watch them uh, and see what we're what we're doing. Those first two, so almost just happy at the end of them because we can't majorly take anything away just to hear that there's a clean injury report. <laughs> and hopefully what we hear from Dean Smith is that he saw what he wanted to see and he got what he wanted to get out from the games. We're at the turning point now where we're getting into the later preseason games where we'll be able to watch those. We want to see the patterns that we want to see. We'll be able to make major takeaways from it. But again, not trying to determine too much from them, not taking too much out of the result. But we are at that turning point now where these preseason friendlies, and especially the next two, we're probably going to see an extended period with the lineup that he has planned for the opening day of the season. So that'll be important to get something out of that. But yeah, the, the, these um, the, the first couple of games with those blown leads, it's not something that I'm putting too much stock into at all, really. Yeah, we will go ahead and talk about LA Galaxy, though, because we did get to watch it. And I myself got to watch most of the match due to the regular working. I missed the first 15 minutes or so. But really, most of what I want to talk about is in the second half. Anyway, the first half had a bit of an air of everybody figuring it out and getting into their positions. It's a 3-0 Charlotte. It's the first win of 2024. We can all go ahead and celebrate. We've, we've kicked that monkey off of our back. Charlotte has a win. Great. Charlotte has a win over the, the mighty LA Galaxy's kids. 
um, the the sixteen year olds that were playing on both sides did a great job, and Charlotte's sixteen year olds came out on top. That doesn't mean there's nothing to talk about in this game. I do think there are a few particularly interesting things, specifically the fact that if you did not get the chance to watch it, the announcer calling him an announcer would be generous. It would be like calling me an astrophysicist because at some point in time in my life, I have done math and astrophysicists sometimes do math. That is about the same level of correlation. <laughs> this poor guy was clearly just an L.A guy right somebody who works with la galaxy because he knew all of their kids and knew all their players names right off the bat and he knew no one at charlotte <laughs> so every time a charlotte player touched the ball he was like and that's charlotte and then there'd be like 15 seconds 20 seconds of dead air <laughs> and the moment an la person got the ball he'd be like yeah there's the person and there's this this ball and there's the young kid and uh great Great to see somebody out there who clearly loves LA Galaxy, but made for very interesting commentating. I think the most comical part of it uh, was, and you guys are going to have to help me, uh, his fantastic pronunciation of Enzo Cupati is, I believe, the way he did it. Cupati, Josh, uh, does that that sound about right to you? Yeah, I mean, he's just he's just trying to lean into being, I'm assuming, a uh, British announcer. Yeah, like trying to make some kind of pun. I don't know. Maybe Ewan would know better. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that Enzo deserves some talking point in this show, not just because he scores a goal in this game, which I will go ahead and say, very well taken goal. He makes a diagonal run off of a spectacular ball from Yuri Tavares, who we'll talk about in a minute. The run is well timed. It's the type of run where he sort of moves horizontally before transitioning that momentum laterally leaves the defensive line in their dust gets a total breakaway with the keeper sets his body up in all the right ways show this to your kids this is how you take a one-on-one -on -one with the keeper slots it away beautiful i i really enjoyed watching that from enzo capetti that goal josh if there's anything you want to talk about in the goal or more specifically anything you want to talk about now that he is kind of the number nine I mean, I think if you're looking at people who could be fighting him for the number nine place, it would be Patrick Agumong and potentially Yuri Tavares, who we saw out on the wing. So what are your thoughts on uh, Enzo Cupati? <laughs> um, I am much higher than I think the entire fan base is on Enzo Capetti. It really comes down to how little I care about his supposed antics and how much more I think I value what I've seen from him on the pitch. For me, Enzo is a guy at his best who has really, really strong hold-up play, who is very good in the air, who knows how to make a run in behind a defense. He's not the quickest guy, but I think his timing can be really good. Um, and I think overall, he's a pretty good finisher. I... I get confused as to why people will in one breath say that the team was dysfunctional last year and yet also say that Enzo was no good. To me, we can't have it both ways. And if the team was dysfunctional, that had to have affected Enzo. For me, we need wingers who are going to provide consistent service to Enzo. We need a midfield who is going to be able to feed him balls 
yes, he probably needs to tone down a little bit of the antics simply because I do think he earned a reputation unfairly and sometimes calls went against us and him that I think were nothing should have been nothing calls. At the end of the day, I think that Enzo is the type of player where is he going to be the best striker in MLS? No. But I think if he were to get consistent service, I think he would score a lot of goals. And in fact, I've gone on record on Twitter as saying that barring health issues, I believe Enzo is going to score 18 goals this year. And I don't think that that is going to be. I, I don't think that is going to be all PK stat padding either. Um, I am I am really that high on Enzo. I, you know, again, this team is kind of a mess right now. And so that's that's a very bold thing to say. But I just do believe that if we actually put Enzo in a team where he knows he's the number nine, where you don't have you're not fitting the square peg into the round hole that sometimes was Carol Schroederski, um, I think he really has the talent to flourish. And I really don't believe the rumors either swirling about him. I don't see any way that Charlotte is letting him go. I think they're in on Enzo this year. Yeah, he's got the opportunity. I mean, really, he's he's going to get the number nine shirt. And despite talks of what his agent appears to be saying out there, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen all the rumors, but rumors are his agent is making all sorts of noise. I do think he's going to be here and he's going to get the chance to be the guy. And I, I think he's probably going to do everything he can to to go out and not just keep that place, but but showed that that stage is his. The the one thing I want to get a little bit into the meat of in this game with him was I liked his pressing triggers. It was very clear to me that he was, in the second half, the one who was waiting for the timing to press, and then, bang, he was into the press. And other people were following him, right? It was clear that he'd sat down and talked with uh, Dean Smith. I almost said Christian Latanzio. It was clear that he'd sat down and talked with Dean Smith. It was clear that he understood what the, what the program was. And it was also clear that he wasn't perfect at it yet, right? There were a few times he was a little bit deeper than he thought he was going to be, or, but you could see him berate himself. You could see him go, ah, man, I should have been there, or I should have done this. And then when he was in the right positions, no hesitation, immediately took the pressing triggers, and the rest of the team went with him. And that is something that I can look at in preseason and say, you know what, I appreciate that. I like what I'm seeing from the team. That comes from Dean Smith, right? These guys have not had 100 years to work together. It's clear that Dean Smith has sat down with a few people. Ashley Westwood, <laughs> Enzo Capetti, um, a, a few others, and said... Here's what we're going to do. You guys are, are my generals on the field. I need you to be the ones that trigger things. And if you watch the way we got into defensive shape, Enzo Capetti was a part of that. And if you watch the way we triggered the high press, Enzo Capetti was the firing pin. So I really enjoyed seeing that on top of seeing him go ahead and get an early goal that I'm sure will bring him some confidence. Let's talk about... Uh, the second goal here from the trialist. Obviously, Charlotte FC is is making a big deal of the fact that they have a trialist because everywhere on everything, he was referred to as the trialist. Ewan, uh, what would you like to tell us about the trialist? Potential even, the trialist name. <laughs> yeah, Tariq Fosu uh, is the name. Um, I think 
for as much as the club has to be fairly coy about uh, naming him, I, I think if you are online and on social media generally, you will probably have seen that name already. Um, and if you've seen that name and you've done a bit of research, probably quite impressed with the uh, with, with the resume that he's put together in football, uh, kind of spending most of his football playing in the second division, uh, the championship uh, in England and, and playing a decent amount of football there. Um, over the last few years, was part of the team, uh, the Brentford team that got promoted from the uh, from the Championship to the Premier League. Probably the the best season of his career at a decent high level, um, and wasn't just a part of that squad. Kind of, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. He he played a, a majority. He played in a majority of those games, so he was a key contributor to that team. And then they get to the Premier League. It's probably a little bit of a step above to him. And in the couple, you know, two three years since, he's lost his way a little bit to the point now he's a free agent. And Dean Smith has uh, used the contacts book and, and managed to get him out here. And uh, if this game's anything to go off, and again, we're not taking too much from these, but from what I know of him as a player from playing in England and from what we got from him today, obviously getting a goal, a signing that I think is likely going to happen um, just based off where we are as a team with the lack of signings and and the, the specific demand right now for players who play in his position. Um, I should probably mention, yeah, he is a winger. So, uh, that is somewhere where, out of nowhere, we've gone from having a, a stable of talent to having a little bit of a need there. So I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if he was signed permanently. But yeah, to speak on his goal today, it, it kind of speaks to what you were saying just there with Capetti um, about the pressing. Uh, we win the ball high with Diagora. He, uh, I believe it was Diagora, is that correct? Um, I, I I also think it was Diagora, but I will be perfectly honest with you. I do not know immediately off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm, was... I'm like... Not... Yeah, it was a triggered press that had a, a ball cut out, and I believe yeah. it was Diagora who did it. But I, I'm not um, sure it was him. Yeah, and and it came from a situation you mentioned there, how good Capetti is, uh, and how good he was today in that. Basically, what we're trying to do with the angling of the pressing is deny the opposition the verticality that they're after. If you get a chance to watch this game, and if you've already watched this game, you'll see how much more comfortable Charlotte were playing through the fullbacks and in wide areas in build up compared to LA Galaxy, who were determined to pack the middle of the field with bodies and quickly uh, quickly pass the ball, beat our man-to-man press and, and get through it fairly um, fairly swiftly and try and create a bit of a, um, a manufactured transition where you have not a numbers advantage, but even numbers, which uh, is, is, a, is an advantage in a transition if you do have even numbers. If you're, if you're, level, if you're level, you're good. So uh, that's what they're trying to get from there. But because we had such an emphasis on denying them that verticality, one, they were giving the ball away quite a lot. And then it leads to a point like that where you have such an emphasis on trying it that you're going to eventually get the opposition to make an ill-advised pass. They're so well-drilled and so it's so on the head, like, this is what happens here. This is the way we want to play. That eventually you get an ill-advised pass with a trigger that's right there to nick the ball off them. So not only are we denying them exactly what we want to do, but putting the tactics aside and putting the, you know, the player habits as well and, and realising that it's a game of 22 humans eventually players will make mistakes because they have it in their head to play exactly a certain way and they're going to do it they're going to make ill-advised decisions so that's what happens there diagra pinches the ball off him and uh yeah fosu's right on the spot to uh to put the ball away so of the three goals we score a free kick capetti gets a good finish that's probably the one which will make dean smith the happiest so yeah that's uh it's a great for the trialist to get a goal but also just as a team that's probably the goal that that you can look at and say we did exactly as we wanted to do from a tactical perspective there. Yeah, it's, it's a good demonstration for me of good work provides good luck. Um, uh, I think it's probably fair to say we cut out LAF or LA Galaxy from their passing out of the back 
like a hundred times in the second half, mostly because their passing out from the back wasn't great. Like I, I, I want to set up the caveat. While I think Charlotte FC did really well, I also didn't watch them up against the best passing out in the world. Right now that I've said that, they did succeed in that. They did cut balls out. They did create transitions and opportunity where the other side had flooded forward and they thought they had easy passes out. Turns out they didn't. We made that space. We created those counters. And in this particular instance, I, actually, I, I don't think we make the best opportunity of that counter, but we do pretty good. And it, by dumb luck, falls to our trialist. And he just kicks it into the back of the net, which is all the trialist has to do, right? That at the point in time he receives the ball, he didn't have any control of anything up to that point. We did everything right. The last part didn't quite work out. Luck handed us a little bit of a good fortune drop. And because we were playing in their box with more men than they had, the ball fell to us and we scored. I don't have any problem with that. I think everything about it was was done well. You know, in a perfect world, would I potentially like to see us have a... a masterclass walk it in finish maybe but the truth is what created the opportunity was brilliant we finished the opportunity one way or the other i enjoyed it i'm going to talk about Hamidi diop uh i think Hamidi diop came in and played pretty well in this game uh showed that he can get back into that back line and can have some some defensive value i don't necessarily think we were a defensive rock in this game we do come away with a clean sheet but we did have to make a couple of saves, a couple of headers that were close to our goal could have very easily gone in. Hamidi Diop gets the third goal in this one by setting up off of his left foot with Enzo Capetti and playing the, oh, nobody knows who Hamidi Diop is. Enzo Capetti is definitely going to take this free kick. Even the announcer is saying Enzo Capetti's name, again, as Enzo Capetti, while Hamidi Diop is taking the free kick. So Hamidi Diop's leg is swinging at it, and he's saying, from Enzo Kupati, it's special for me, uh, from, from Hamidi Diop. He does have a very good foot. He knows how to strike a ball. He can hit one cleanly. When he first came in, we talked about him being able to hit these super long diagonal balls all the way across the field to the right. And originally, we talked about how that could link up with... Uh, Jalen Lindsay, who was making an overlap, how it could uh, link up with a Kamal Yuzhviak out there who is positioned well, or how it could even link up with a uh, Josh uh, McKenzie Gaines, who had beaten his player down the side and just had tons of space to run into. Obviously, we never saw that. I do think we see his, his mastery of how well he strikes the ball here. And I'm not offended by having someone in our team in the back line who can distribute the ball well and can really place a free kick. I, I'm going to go over to... I'll, I'll take Josh for this one. Josh, is this a chance for Hamidi Diop? He kind of vanished. I mean, it absolutely is. I, something else I've I've said for since Charlotte FC has existed is that I'm of the opinion that we put too much stock into MLS draft picks. When you look at the history of MLS super draft picks, Every single year, you're looking at maybe five or six guys who make a true impact on a team. Most guys who are drafted, 
um, quite honestly, like the reason they get into the draft is because they were lacking a little bit of talent or uh, they had a little bit of rawness that prevented them from signing with a team at an earlier age. And so these are guys who it's not like the NFL. It's not like the NBA where I, you should not expect them to be drafted and immediately step on the field. Because Ben Bender did that to a certain extent, I think it has shaded our opinion of what to expect from these players. But for me, I still don't have any concern about Hamidi Diop because for me, I never expected anything from him last year. This is the year, I think, where I do want to see a little bit more. Not necessarily him starting, although that would be lovely, but him starting to make a case that, hey, I need some minutes. That's what you want to see, in my opinion, this year. And then next year, you really want him kicking down the door. Um, have very, we have a thin squad. I think anyone who has signed to Charlotte FC right now has a legitimate shot to play for this team, depending on how they do in training and then the game times that they get. And Hamidi is included in that. Yeah, he's a young man. He's got a lot of potential. I think we all know that. Uh, I think this is one of those things where he could come in. Uh, I think that my understanding of him from last year was that the most difficult space to play in in, in football is the six inches between your ears. The, the head space that you have to be in to be a successful, successful footballer, English is hard, is, is very difficult to, to go through. People have confidence droughts. People uh, question themselves. People that you have to be able to reach a certain place. And my understanding is that Hamidi Diop may not have been there in season one. If Hamidi Diop was having some, you know, some challenges in the head space, Christian Latanzio probably isn't the guy who is going to masterclass help him navigate that, right? Dean Smith might be. Dean Smith is a new opportunity for him. He has seen a lot more in the game. Uh, he gets a fresh start with Dean Smith. He gets to go out and make a first impression in a way that maybe he learned from how he came into the team the first time. It's another opportunity. And I think most importantly for him, him getting a goal puts his name back into the minds of the podcasters, of the news reporters, of the, of the fans, right? Because if you are known, you are going to get more chances than if you are, are forgotten to time. This could be a, a second coming of Hamini Diop. Do I expect a significant amount from him? Probably no. Would I love to see it? Absolutely, because let's be honest, we need the help. Hamidi Diop, please become the best defender in the MLS post-haste. Signed, the crown cast. Uh, let's go ahead, and Josh, I'm going to stick with you just for this one. Hmm. We've made all of these jokes. We, uh, for the past month and a half, all of my intros to the crown cast have been me coming on to joke about talking about our big new signing. And we have said before that sooner or later it does start to drag a team's image down if you appear to have done nothing. And it appears that that is starting to happen. Can you fill us in? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I happened to see on Reddit that someone posted in the Charlotte uh, Football Club subreddit that ESPN's Football America had talked about Charlotte's offseason or lack of offseason, if you will. Um, and one of the big talking points was about uh, Carnetta and, and 
whether he is another example of a, a former agent turned GM, sporting director, whatever you want to say, who has just not worked out. Um, I don't think we need to really adjudicate whether that is true about Cornetta or not. For me, the more important thing is a lot of times I think you can be kind of in a bubble with your team. You're always going to follow your team more closely than any national media person is. But I do think it says something when all of a sudden the national media is now talking about your team and they're talking about it because you have not gone better, um, at least on paper. And that, you know, and that's what everyone is sort of looking for. Again, I, I think it's going to be something that a lot of Charlotte fans right now are going to agree with, myself included, unfortunately. Not so much the Canada thing necessarily, just the this is a bad look for this squad. You finally made the playoffs. You have now lost your most important player, another DP. And really all you've done is sign goalkeepers when you already have a guy in Polina who you, on at least from the outside, think very highly of. So um, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully with the bad comes the good. And hopefully once over the next week when we make all these wonderful moves and we sign 14 different players, the, the mood will change, but right now it is starting to seep into that national media as well. So Ewan, I'm going to go to you uh, with something that we talked about potentially discussing earlier. This is going to be a long podcast, but I think we have the stuff to talk about. We may as well enjoy talking about it. There was always going to be a clean out at Charlotte FC. There were a couple of players who had come in, come out publicly and said that they wanted to be somewhere else. There was always going to be an exodus. And the real truth is, if you have watched teams get better in the past, other clubs and other leagues, usually there is, are two or three or four or seven players who on paper seem really good that end up leaving. And new players come in and fill those positions and new people get leadership chances, et cetera, et cetera. But there's usually a wave of emptying. Sometimes that is a sign that good things are coming. Sometimes that is a sign that people are fleeing the ship, right? So Ewan, from your perspective, with all these players leaving, with a lot of these players signing for other clubs, some of them in the MLS, with the lack of talent that has come into Charlotte, does this feel like the, the cleaning house, if you will, for Dean Smith to set the stage? Or... Does this feel like people fleeing a sinking ship? I don't think I don't think it's cleaning house. Um, I think um, you know we sold two DPS. Uh, Carol not officially, but we kind of know what's going to happen there. Um, so that represents a, a kind of changing of, of what's happening and acceptance that one player wants to leave and an acceptance that another player didn't work out as a DP signing. Um, I think if they try to sell it as that, that's probably not going to get bought by anyone because what we have been building towards the last two seasons and why patience has been preached is because where has the emphasis been outside of, you know, those couple of those few DP signings, the emphasis has been on signing young talent. The emphasis has been on the fact that I don't think any other MLS club prioritizes um, the draft in the way that we do in terms of a way to build their squad. You pair those, you pair those things together and ultimately, you're left with the fact that this is a team that shouldn't be coming to a position now where we're looking at some kind of rebuild and cleaning house. We're looking at a team that should be coming into, you know, it, it should have an upwards trajectory to this point. So if they tried to sell it as that, 
it would it would be a case that they're probably trying to change the story on the fly because certain things haven't worked out. I think we're at a point now where, from a team building perspective, Dean Smith is coming in. We kind of understand what kind of manager he is, what role he fits. And if we don't start seeing some of the players that have come in, the young players who we have an emphasis of development on, if we don't see them develop with a coach who has an emphasis and has said this as much himself as a direct player developer, that's how he sees his role, combined with the fact that Kaneta, in this theoretical, would be on his third season of underperformance, the writing is kind of on the wall for this. Um, and then you are maybe looking at a uh, a cleaning of house and uh, and a major rebuild in terms of how this squad is put together. So I think we're at a point now where if we don't start this season well, if we get a month in or two months in and things aren't going the way uh, we, we would hope, there is going to be some reckoning with him. And then we get a cleaning of house with other areas and we see some big things, as well as the fact that I have a sneaky suspicion that the reason why the transfers have been slow now is because Dean Smith has got some agreements in place and there are some agreements in place with players he's maybe more familiar with for the summer, which fits the English calendar a little bit better than January does. So yeah, and I think... another thing that might back you up there is the number of international roster slots that we have acquired in droves. Yeah, over, yeah, I was, was going to say, yeah, that's that, that a lot. If you kind of if you're piecing together a puzzle here, it would all point that that's probably the direction that we're going to go in. That we're going to have a bigger summer rather than a January, which is underwhelming because this is the uh, this is MLS preseason, but fits that kind of perspective. That if there's going to be a cleaning of house. I don't think it's happening right now. I think it will come if things underwhelm. So I wouldn't describe it right now as that, but it, without a good start, that could be coming. So one of the one of the hardest things about being a, a podcaster or, or anyone who is this in-depth about a specific thing is it's really hard to tell when you are mastermind putting all of the pieces together to see the the bigger picture and when you are the crazy guy with the ropes strung up on the whiteboard behind you going, it fits, it fits, I swear. Uh, we'll see. We'll find Charlie, out. Charlie, this is sunny type stuff. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say something that I have been not, not holding off saying, but have had questions about saying. And that is, I think it's important for media to, to say the fact that I personally am not all that hype about this season. This January, the way the club has rolled it out, the way things are moving, the, the direction I see the club in, I see a lot of under-the-table potential. I see a lot of young kids who could be, but right now probably aren't. I see a lot of things that I go, well, that's interesting, but I don't necessarily immediately see a lot of things that make me go, I'm going to be bouncing up and down for this in the right now. And I think that we have a responsibility to say, if you're a Charlotte FC fan and you're looking at this and you're going, yeah, I'm excited to be at the opening match and yeah, I'm excited to cheer on my team again, but, but I'm not necessarily like in full hype mode. That's okay. The truth is, this has been a bit of a window where even the professionals are scratching their heads. This has been a bit of an off-season where the transition is massive. And 
our season this year could realistically range from anything like top of the table because Dean Smith has a master plan in the the back where we get some of the best European players in the world in the summer to really, really low end of the table because we're going to use this entirely as a development year and none of these guys are ready and and they're going to go get a harsh reality check. It's hard to tell you which one of these things it's going to be and we hope, but the truth is if if you are ready, if you're raring to go, if you are if you've got the grill already cooking for this season, good for you. More power to you. But if you're somebody like me who's who's excited to be there and and ready for the season, but at the same time kind of looks at it and goes, <clears throat> "Let's see. Let's let's watch this develop." There's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a really important message and that's still part of loving your team. So, uh, we will begin to wrap it up there. One thing that we are going to go ahead and talk about is Ewan. Buddy, we're about to be dropping the Premier League show. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. We've had a few chats about this for a little while, but um, yeah, raring to go. I'm, uh, yeah, you, you know about how much of the uh, <laughs> how much of that football <laughs> I consume. So I'm excited to actually be putting that into something rather than it bouncing around in my own head. So uh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm up for it. I know you're up for it. And hopefully everyone else is as well. Yeah. So uh, what we are going to be doing is we are going to be adding on another show to the Crowncast that you can go out and listen to if you're a fan of the Premier League or if you just want to learn about football in general. The objective of this show will not be to focus on any one team. That's why it's not me and Josh doing it. It's me and Ewan. Uh, we, we want to go and look at everybody. We want to look at what happens at each sort of tier of the Premier League and how football is played, how players develop, who gets chances where, what do the teams that maybe have financial differences do to overcome that gulf when they have to go to uh, play teams like Manchester City, and and how do they go and sometimes steal results? I think that this show is going to end up being really cool. It's going to have a lot of good information in it, and I'm excited to be doing it uh, with you, Ewan, so look forward to that. Last announcement for uh, this episode is that we will be starting a Patreon. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to us for years, we love what we are doing, but we are expanding it to a point that does unfortunately cost money. If you would be willing to go and check out our Patreon and potentially support us for this next season, we are going to be moving the post reacts, the instant reacts from the end of the games onto Patreon. It'll be $5 a month. So if that's something that you feel you can spare to help support us, you can go hear those post reacts. We're still going to be giving you plenty of content because we're going to be giving you the other show, the Premier League show for free. And this Wednesday show is going to be free, just like it always has been. We're never going to be putting that on Patreon. So if you think you'd be interested in some of the extra content we're going to have over there, we're going to do player reviews, some scouting videos and things like that, where we go and look at players who we thought would be linked to Charlotte FC, please give us a chance. Uh, if it's not something that you can feel, right, feel you can do right now, super happy to have you here. But we look forward to launching that. And that's it. As ever, thank you, Josh. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ewan. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And if you have despited... Desi despited. I, sometimes I just give up. If you have decided <laughs> to spend your time with us, we love you. Thank you so much. 
And we will talk to you again next Wednesday. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.